Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jordan Hill. We got the whole crew this week with Rusty Mansell and Kip Adams. Rusty, how is this Tuesday treating you? A lot better than last week. Last week, I think it was somewhere in Statesboro staring down the eyes of I-16, which is equivalent to torture uh, from Statesboro to Macon. That's a, um, so a lot better situation than I was. And enjoy going down there and seeing prospects all over the coast, but I was not looking forward to that ride. I remember specifically Tuesday morning about this time going, man, just let me get to make it. Kip, uh, how is Tuesday treating you, especially uh, coming off of a uh, not a great performance from our Atlanta Braves last night? Yeah, well, I, I, it's pretty obvious that they uh, spent about as long as we did partying and probably a little bit longer. They were pretty hungover on that game yesterday, but it's October, man, new month. Got a home game this weekend. This is when it starts to get, you know, important in, in all sports. So, uh, yeah, I'm strapping on. They'll, uh, you know, go out there and, and win one or the Mets will lose one. It doesn't matter. We, they did what they needed to against the Mets. Good job by the Braves. Uh, Georgia did what they needed to over the weekend. And uh, we're we're in it right now. This is, this is the big stretch. So, uh, it, it does hit a little bit different when you get to cover a home game. So, uh, I'm sure you're glad to be – you know, back home, that was a whirlwind trip for, for you know, you beat riders just going up to Mizzou and then flying right back to, to be there for, for Kirby Smart and practice availability. So uh, let, let's get it going, man. Let's talk some Georgia football. Absolutely. Yeah, I had about two hours of sleep after that uh, Missouri game. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. So this episode of the podcast is going to be a mailbag. Before we get into the questions and We've got some from our board, and also, if you're watching this live, drop them in the comments because we'll get to those as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit, just sort of parting thoughts, final thoughts on that Missouri game. And I'll start with you, Rusty, just uh, your thoughts on that game. And then, Kip, once uh, Rusty's done, just jump in as well. Obviously, a, a, a very surprising first half. I mean, I think um, – I thought this was going to be a game that Georgia could get in – get a good handle on pretty quickly. Uh, they did not, and, and when you're on the road at night in the SEC, you're gonna let that crowd momentum pick up, and you know a couple things led to another, and you got a ball game on your hands, and you're down. Uh, you know, and I, I thought the first half, it, you know, the one thing I take about away from this, I kind of look at the game X and O wise, is is the lack of separation by Georgia's wide receivers. I mean, they manned them up, and they came at them. I mean, they came after Georgia, they blitzed, um, you know, pretty much all night, and. You know, the last team I saw do that to Georgia that that won uh, was South Carolina under Will Muschamp a couple of years ago. He manned them up uh, with J.C. Horn and those guys and those NFL DBs he had at the time and said, hey, we're going to cover your wide receivers. And 
you know, Georgia made some plays, some really good catches at times. And, uh, but, but with situations like that, you, you start thinking long-term, you know, Georgia, they desperately need um, A.D. Mitchell back. They need Arian Smith to get back involved there. And, uh, you know, I kind of mentioned on the junkyard the other night, the other morning that, you know, if you're going to play that type of uh, coverage against Georgia, you're going to leave safeties one-on-one with Darnell Washington. And you saw Georgia start taking shots to Darnell Washington. So, you know, the concerning thing for me uh, looking forward would be can these wide receivers get some separation because all they did was stack the box and 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 come at – they came after Georgia. And, and they they rattled Georgia for a while, and they couldn't convert. And, and uh, you know, but I will say this on the flip side of that. The second half, when they needed to take that game over, the Georgia offensive line was moving bodies. Um, I, I think it's just a, a – you know, do you have the depth to play that uh, that type of game with Georgia? Uh, that you want to get you want to get in the phone booth with Georgia? They did for about two and a half quarters now, uh, but Georgia's offensive line took that game over. Uh, you look in the fourth quarter, watch just massive moving bodies, and and uh, you know Dejon Edwards finishing that thing off with some really really good runs. So, you know, a couple things you kind of look down the line, but at the end of the day, when a championship team needed to do what they needed to do. You know, the old term, imposing your will. Georgia imposed her will on Missouri uh, that last quarter and a half and took that game over. Yeah, and, and, you know, you look at the red zone for me. The That's the one aspect that's kind of starting to, uh, to show itself for Georgia. We've seen them in five games. We kind of have a good, you know, read on some of their tendencies. And right now, you look at it on the surface, 30 out of 31 red zone trips, they've come in with points. Uh, but then you look at it a little bit closer and you see that, you know, the, the touchdown percentage, only 17 of those 31 trips, they came away with, with a touchdown. You know, that that's that's the key difference in games like this. When you get into a dogfight, those points matter. And for Georgia in the red zone, they need to be able to, you know, get the ball in the end zone. And I think right now, when you, when you start to get down there and it's, you know, it's tighter thro- passing windows, you got to be able to get, you know, bounce that ball outside or, or, you know, hand the ball to your back and for him to, you know, to, to break a good run and, and, you know, get to the end zone. And, and that's the aspect of this team that last year was kind of an issue as well, but they were able to cover that up just by being so dominant on defense. And so right now you, you look at it, we said this before the season, this is a young defense. And so this part of the season – you're going to have some growing pains. You're going to have those times whenever, you know, uh, Kamari Lasseter does not stay on his guy and doesn't notice, you know, when a guy takes a step forward. I think one of the aspects in that game defensively is they had guys that are kind of, you know, they were at the line of scrimmage on guys and, and releasing off of them. And then there were coverage breakdowns where he didn't pick up that guy after he got off the release. Yeah. And so I think for, for guys like Tyke Smith, who haven't played a lot of snaps, guys like Kamari Lasseter learning on the fly, these are those growing pains you kind of have to deal with. And then also Malachi starts another guy that, again, we've talked about how, you know, great of an athlete he is you got to remember he's still a freshman you're going to have some some coverage breakdowns and we saw some of those uh defensively for georgia you take away you know the five plays for missouri where they had those kind of issues and missouri only had 100 and i think 112 yards on on 48 uh you know plays from scrimmage 
And so I, that's that's almost two yards per play. The defense did its job except for a couple mental breakdowns. So defensively, you have to actually, you know, be excited about the future because I think they're going to be playing really, really good football down the home stretch. And offensively, they, they fixed some things, uh, you know, some zone issues with their blocking, did a lot better in the second half. A, a group that's also trying to figure out who its best five are and they need to kind of maybe shrink that offensive line group and stick to those five. And then if you get a guy like Arian Smith back, like Rusty said with separation, and then a guy like Dominic Blaylock comes in and is giving you the, those sure hands that, that he's had at Georgia and being healthy out there, you could start to, to – open up that passing attack a little bit more. And I think this offense will look a, a lot better. They're not going to be a dominant rushing attack this year. I think that much we know, but they can still be a very, very explosive offense. Yeah, I was really impressed with what Dominic was able to do in that game. And, you know, I think that was a big third and eight, third and third and nine, something like that, that he caught to convert. I mean, if Georgia doesn't get that. Contested. Contested. I mean, the guy was hanging on him. Mm-hmm. You know, not a lot of separation there, but strong hands. You know, you're not going to be able to run free every time, but you got to make those strong hand catches. And I agree, Jordan. That was a hell of a play. The only other thing that I would say that has kind of stuck with me from that Missouri game is just turnovers. Two weeks in a row that Georgia has had those turnovers that have really hurt them and, and has really allowed the, the opponent to hang around and, in Missouri's case, take the lead. And, you know, it's, it's such a, a sharp contrast to the way they started the year. First three games, they don't turn the ball over at all. And, of course, I asked about it after the Sanford game, and Kirby said, well, you just jinxed us. So, well, so I'm, you know, don't, don't want to uh, take the blame on that one. But, man, they have not done as well. And, and the thing, too, that I think we kind of lose sight of sometimes when you talk about turnovers, obviously you're giving the, the ball to the opponent, but that's one less drive you have. That's one less possession you have. That's one less chance you have to go down and score and add points. And at the end of the game, you know, we're looking there and, you know, seven, six, five minutes left in the game and Georgia's desperately needing possessions. And, you know, credit to the players and credit to the team for, you know, being able to finish. But they kind of, you know, put themselves in a corner, back themselves into a corner because of those early turnovers. And and just, uh, you know, the fact they were able to finish, I think it says a lot about what this team can do. But they can't find themselves, in my opinion, in a lot of situations like that if we're really going to talk about a 12-0 regular season being possible. What a play by Malachi Starks to save four points. Um, you're talking about a hustle play uh, because if that, that that goes in, I'm not sure that uh, Georgia gets a win, to be honest with you there. And a hustle play by a true freshman to run him down and, and tackle him on the one-yard line, it shows a lot uh, what type of character that kid is. Four-point difference on that play, Georgia wins by four. You know, it's it's always more than just one play, but that definitely mattered for sure. So we're going to get into some of the questions. We are going to start with one from the board. Uh, the question was uh, from ALG610, two straight games with slow starts on offense and turnovers, a blip on the radar or a more worrisome trend. I'll start with you, Kip. What are your thoughts on the last two games from the offense? Is this a reason to be concerned, or, or is it just too – lackluster games and we think they can kind of get back to how they started the season on the turnover side i think i think it's a, just a, a blip on i mean i i think that this is not a trend I, I, the, the those things happen in spurts but they're not normally things that for georgia right now is, is something that is, is a sign of something that's going to continue I, I think it's a blip on the radar in that aspect 
the slow starts on offense. Uh, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, the blueprint was out in Missouri. They, they, they tried to utilize it. Uh, you know, they came uh, with a continued attack. They did not stop attacking Georgia. They put guys in the box, but they also made sure to try to get guys in the backfield as well to get guys in Stetson's face, to put tra- guys in traffic there to where those short a- area targets were not there or hard to see for him. Uh, I think for for Georgia, you're going to have to be able to uh, combat that not only with an explosive uh, run game, but but also just guys uh, making plays on the outside. You got to have guys that can kind of stretch the field a little bit and force those safeties to kind of uh, you know to sit back a little bit more. They're loading it up right now and telling uh, Stetson and this offense. You're not going to beat us deep. We're not afraid of that right now. So we're going we're going to load it up and, and see what you can do. And, and Georgia's going to have to take advantage of that. It's it's Nexus and O's battle out there. And I think right now uh, it's up to Todd Monk and to kind of come up with a game plan to to counter that early in the in the game that so that Stetson and this offense can kind of get settled in a little bit. Rusty, your thoughts on these last two games offensively? Is it something to be concerned of, concerned about, or more of just uh, two poor games and they can return to form? I think they're still trying to figure out what you know what they do well, and you start pieces of the puzzle. I mean, you can do all these things in practice, but you know, until you're in the game situations, what do you do well? Who can do this? Who can do that? Here's one thing that um, you know, offensively. Jordan and Kip both know this, that teams don't tackle anymore in practice. So how do you know what's a negative play? How do you know what's a positive play? You just kind of thud up, you know, you run and, you know, you get four yards and somebody kind of thuds you up, hits you, kind of locks you up and you take off running. Well, you know, I don't know if that's, I don't know the answer to if there's going to be even more practice and stuff, those types of, with, with uh, hitting and tackling like that. But um, that's certainly you don't really know until you get in games what's actually going on until the till the guy gets taken to the ground and um, you know there's full full speed hitting and you know you catch a ball and somebody can hit you and catch a ball in practice somebody's going two hand touch you so uh, that is not indicative of Georgia that's the way football is nowadays NFL does it too as well practice wise so I think the the, the questions are still trying to find answers as you go through the season and one thing we've all learned. And one thing I have certainly learned is there's a first half of the season, and when you get to that bye week, the way Georgia has been going under Kirby Smart, you're basically halfway there then because you got, you know, potential playoffs, SEC championship, another game. I mean, you could really get into adding three extra games to a, to a Georgia schedule. And so there's a lot of football left. I, I like to see where Georgia is next week, going this week, obviously, and then Bandy. Who are those freshmen that kind of, move themselves forward or go that second half of the season. We're going to see Marvin Jones Jr. more. Uh, you know, we're going to see these receivers. We're going to see Dylan Bell play more. But we see Branson Robinson play more. Because we know of one thing for sure. Georgia is expected they're going to be heavy favorites the next two weeks. And they should win these two games. But when they get to that Florida stretch, and then you go those next four games after that, I mean, we're going to find out what Georgia's made of real quick in that stretch. Not going to be any holding back. They're best on best versus those teams. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to the answers for Georgia. Was this a warning sign or was this they were still trying to find themselves offensively and they and they fixed it before they got to that stretch? Don't know yet. We're about to find out. Yeah, we're going to learn and and uh, it's, it's going to be something to watch. And I, I kind of tend to agree with you guys. I mean, that 
uh, it's a work in progress, but I'm not sure that it's, um, you know, a reason to panic um, because I think obviously the talent that this team has, uh, it's just a matter of kind of figuring it out and seeing what works and, and what is uh, works best. Um, we'll go to one of the questions from the comments. Uh, our guy, Jordan Harris, who I, I think we need to put him as one of the co-hosts because uh, he's been on here about as much as all of us have. Uh, why don't we utilize Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers more in the red zone? Makes zero sense to me. I saw this question a bunch. I think it was on our board as well. Um, I think it's a, a fair question. You know, I th if I'm remembering right, they did hit Brock. I, I want to say he got down to about the one, if I'm remembering correctly, Saturday night. Um, but I want to see maybe more so than Brock them get Darnell the ball more. Uh, you know, he's done such a great job blocking. Um, I've never seen somebody that tries to hurdle every single person, every single defender he comes on. You know, he he comes across somebody, he wants to jump them. And dude's 6'7". Yeah. And, uh, and just seeing the way he plays, there was one play, I think that was in the first half, he caught a ball and hit a guy, and the dude bounced off him, looked like a pinball. I've never seen, you know, and that was not a little defender that hit him. Um, but yeah, I think it's a fair critique and I want to get both of y'all's opinions. Let's start with you, Rusty. Um, just as far as getting those tight ends more involved, I know that's easier said than done because we know these opposing defenses understand, um, what kind of playmakers both these guys are. Well, they're facing a lot of different coverages when you get that constricted area. So you find ways to counter that. What's George are doing? They're handing the ball off to, to Brock Bowers. Uh, not in this game, but let's be honest, the, the first three games or four games, he's been the best running back in the red zone. Jet sweeps, just just giving it to him and letting him run behind Darnell blocking. So they're finding different ways to get the ball to there. And I think, you know, there's two different types of red zones. There's that on the 20-yard line, and there's on that five-yard line. So there's two different play calls there. Uh, you look at the play they scored on against Alabama in the SEC Championship, it was a jump ball. Uh, for Darnell Washington. So everything has to happen so quick. Darnell Washington's not a speed guy. He's a size guy. So they got the ball to him. You got to be able to get in and out of your breaks quick, separate uh, with, with those those windows shrinking. So there's two different kind of calls there. But I think when you're in the red zone, you see Brock Bowers gets uh, he gets a good amount of balls. Uh, they throw him some one on one balls. I think you just kind of take this game away and see where they are. I think I was kind of surprised that, that Brock Bowers the first three quarters didn't get more targets the other night. Uh, obviously, when they with the defense they were playing, you can't see the entire field from an elevated view, so it's hard to see sometimes. You know, Jordan, you're there in person. They got a safety over the top of Brock Bowers all the time. It's kind of hard to see that with the TV angle. But uh, you look – I know this for a fact. When they went one-on-one, -on -one, the way they were playing Georgia, they just said, look, you can't guard Darnell one-on-one. -on -one. So – uh, they got him the ball. Maybe they get him some more touches in the red zone. So I think that Todd Moggin has to keep getting creative to get those two guys involved. Um, and, but it'd be interesting when, when A.D. Mitchell comes back and you have to play this Georgia team a little bit different because you have to respect that guy on the outside and what he can do. You look at Lad McConkey in the red zone. They just throw him the ball, basically extended handoff. They just throw him a bubble screen out there to three on two and let him try to make somebody miss a tackle. They do that a lot with him. So, you know, they're finding ways to get him the ball and be able to use his explosive legs uh, in, a, in a constricted uh, smaller space. Kip, your thoughts as far as the tight ends and, and trying to get them involved uh, in the red zone? I think it was pretty clear that the outside game was being taken away from Georgia. And at the same time, you, you look at that, that fourth down right there near the goal line, they, they run that end around uh, on, with Kenny McIntosh and get that conversion. 
you you saw they had Darnell and Brock blocking ahead of them, and I, I think it's also just a, a you know the interior offensive line was having issues kind of clearing the way downfield. But on that play, I mean, like they they got their got their man on man. And I, I think that was just kind of the, the change in this game where you, you had to use them both as blockers for Kenny to be able to get that conversion. And so I just think it, it, I think it was game plan based and whether it was the right game plan or not, you can surely you can question that. But I think it was really just the looks that Missouri was giving them. Uh, they were not running the typical, or at least through four games, what Georgia's offense was, which was attacking the perimeter. Uh, I think this just became a different ball game for Georgia. And they had to buckle up and and, and kind of wear uh, Missouri's defense down. I guess that's the one aspect you can look at. Uh, you know, the flaw in Missouri's game plan is if you're always attacking, you're gonna run. A, you're gonna use up a lot of energy. And I think that's kind of what happened in the second half. They just they, they ran out of energy. Luckily for Georgia, but to, to answer that question, I mean, they they had to use them in different ways because they were. The Missouri was was taking away the ability for for Stetson to clearly see them downfield, and so uh, that's an aspect that Georgia's going to have to go back and look and say how do how do we counter that? Well, you counter that by not allowing the the defense to to attack at will over and over again. You have to put some fear in their hearts, and I mean you do that by having some guys that can kind of stretch the field, but also uh, having running backs who can break off some explosive runs, and and having your interior offensive line do a better job. Putting putting a hat on a hat, so these are things that they're going to work on in practice to try to improve on uh, against an Auburn team this week. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, got several questions left to answer, so uh, just hang around. But we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits. Turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, everybody. We'll get back to the questions. Uh, we will pull up one from our board. This was uh, Rouse Dog 10 who says, Is there any reason we haven't seen Devin Willick or Jared Wilson get a shot at either of the guard spots? Both seem to play better than the first two when they're in there. That was uh, his opinion, obviously. Uh, Kirby was asked about the offensive line on Monday. 
and, and was asked really not so much about those two guys who have been in the mix somewhat through these first few games, but was asked about sort of sharpening up and, and trimming how many offensive linemen were playing. You know, we've seen a rotation. And you could tell that Kirby didn't really think that that was on the radar. I mean, he said that, look, you know, basically that the guys that uh, play quality football and they go against pretty good players every day in practice, I think they earned the right to get an opportunity to play. You know, I think that we're going to continue to see the rotation we have. And, and I would have to imagine, too, that, you know, they've seen some of the issues. You know, there's been people paying attention to that interior. You know, the guard play has been a point of contention, I know, with fans, uh, with Xavier Truss and Tate Rattledge and, and what we've seen there. Uh, but from what I can gather, it seems like those are the those are the guys, that they count on those guys, that they feel like uh, they are their best options as far as uh, this starting offensive line goes. Um, and it's just a matter of what was something Kirby talked about after the game on Saturday, putting those guys in position to make plays, you know, playing to their strengths. You know, he talked about as a coaching staff, that's your job is to get these guys put in position to make plays. So, you know, I, I, Rusty, I'll let you kind of feed off of this and, and answer it as well. But, you know, my feel is that the guys we've been seeing is probably going to be who we continue to see. And this coaching staff is probably just going to work to put them in position um, to play better and, and to try to hold up better than they did uh, in that first half against Missouri. They've been spoiled a little bit, obviously, how good he's played, Cedric Van Pran. But I think Saturday he he probably would agree that, that wasn't his best game. Um, you know, he he gave up a couple of pressures, uh, didn't see a ton of movement uh, out of him. And I think that Cedric would probably agree that he probably uh, has played a lot better football at Georgia. Uh, the interior, those three spots um, didn't have a – a great day. Warren McClendon whiffed on one. It was a pressure. I mean, he just flat out whiffed at right tackle. The guy just just went right by him. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that's still a work in progress as well with the offensive line. But I think that you're starting to see some guys move it. To me, you look at the from the third quarter on and what you saw, uh, the movement and then taking that game over. That's something you can build off of. It takes a little while for that offensive line to kind of gel together. And they got some big body guys there. You know, listen, we're not at practice every day, um, but it's clear who they're going with. And I kind of think that's, you know, I, I personally think you're going to see Amarius Mims play more uh, in the rotation. They, they've been doing a thing where they play, getting Warren McClendon some, some reps at left tackle some too to get that on tape for NFL. That's specifically what that is. Marius Mims to get him in. To play some, so uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see Amarius Mims get more reps at right tackle. Does that mean that Warren McClendon play more left, or does that mean Warren McClendon set a series or two? Uh, they got three NFL tackles right now: Broderick Jones, Warren McClendon, and Marius Mims, and that's a good problem to have. Uh, you you want to see what they do there, but I think the offensive line as a whole didn't play great the first half, but the, the second half, I mean, Georgia dominated that game. I mean, they 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 couldn't score in the red zone, but, but taking it over what they needed to and then starting to run the ball to put that game away, that's kind of what you look at. We'll see this weekend because I'll say this, and Kip knows this uh, as much as anybody that, that Kip gets the chance to watch other teams in Auburn as well. I don't care the, the 29-and-a-half-point spread. That Auburn team is always going to be physical up front. They're always going to be physical up front football team. They're going to always strap it on when you play Georgia. And uh, be interested to see how this offensive line and kind of what's the mentality from Georgia this week. We're going to reestablish ourselves, and we're going to ground and pound and push a team around. We're going to try to throw this thing 70 or 80 times again. And 
see where it goes. So I'm interested to see how Alt Georgia attacks Auburn. My personal opinion, I think Georgia's going to come at them and try to use that big offensive line to wear them down and uh, play their kind of football. And and that's what Georgia's doing right now. And you look at the the total yards gained in this game. It's it's a little misleading because it's uh, Georgia gained 481 yards. Uh, they allowed 294. And again, turnovers played a big role in this game. But you look at that fourth quarter. Uh, Georgia had 185 yards. Missouri had 30. And this this is about wearing down the weaker team. And it's exactly what Georgia did. And to answer this question, I mean, it's already kind of a, a small rotation. And it is about the fact that Amarius Mims is probably one of the five best offensive line on this group. But you've got guys in there at left and right tackle. And fans just want to slide one of these guys in the guard. It's not how it works. It's uh, we've just because Georgia's seen it before with guys like Jamari Sawyer with uh, Isaiah Wynn doesn't mean that every guy can do that. And that's why uh, those guys do get to the NFL and uh, as undersized guys are able to thrive because those are guys that you can plug and play anywhere. And it's it's obviously uh, that versatility is highly valued when Georgia's out there recruiting offensive linemen. But for this team right now, they've got three outstanding offensive tackles. And then, you know, on the interior line, they're, they're still trying to get these guys some snaps and some experience. I think Devin Willick's the one guy you could see still continuing to kind of be in the rotation. Uh, other than that, I, I think they have their guys right now. It's about gelling, and it's just it's just about locking in and playing like they did in the second half. And like Rusty said, I mean, like that's the kind of thing you can build on uh, as we continue to go through this season. I think you could see more and more of that, and they, there could be improved play. It could be looking back and and this and saying these were the growing pains of an offensive line that these five haven't played a lot of football together now, but they're they're getting better and better as each each week moves on. Knock out a, a couple of quick questions that I saw from our board and also uh, from the chat. Um, what's the likelihood Eddie Mitchell's back for Auburn? You know, going off of what Kirby said, you know, he made the trip to Missouri. They they made him, uh, you know, he went through pregame and kind of watched to see what they thought there and then felt like, you know, didn't want to, to uh, push him through there. So I think it's going to be very similar Saturday. I think they're going to probably get, get him to go through pregame see what he looks like, see what they think. Because, you know, again, it's still a long season. I don't see them uh, trying to force an issue, especially when you have this run of it's Auburn, then it's Vanderbilt, and then you have a bye week. Um, you know, if they don't feel like he's ready to go, I don't think they will push him. Uh, another quick question from Purple Brave on our message board. Is the 2023 schedule final? Do we keep UT Martin? Bringing that up just because we talked to Josh Brooks uh, that was a few weeks ago at this point. And he was asked point blank, you know, is this schedule set? You know, because obviously losing that Oklahoma game, that was the marquee non-conference game on the 2023 schedule. The rest of it, it's pretty weak uh, on the whole. But uh, Josh Brooks said they're locked in. So I would not expect them to drop that UT Martin game, you know, playing UT Martin. I believe they also play UAB, Georgia Tech, um, and uh, Ball State is who they added uh, with that Oklahoma game going away. Uh, really, uh, really interesting stretch there. Uh, Going to be uh, tough for season ticket holders because, man, those are uh, – I, I know a lot of folks that are going to be calling family seeing if they want to come to Athens probably mm. for a couple games. Mm. Congrats to all the first-time uh, attendees to Georgia football next year. Especially September. Yes, yes. Uh, another question from our board. I thought this was an interesting one because it's one we've kind of talked about 
throughout the off season and even early in the season, Visor Dog says, who is a bigger threat to 12 and 0? I assume he means as far as Georgia trying to go undefeated, Mississippi State or Tennessee. I'll start with you, Kip. Between those two teams, who stands out to you most? Who do you think poses the bigger threat if Georgia's got a shot at going undefeated? Man, it's got to be Tennessee right now. Just look at the way Hinn and Hooker's playing, uh, playing outstanding football. Uh, and this is a team that has a lot of playmakers right now that have kind of, uh, you know, emerged from, from uh, you know, some, some unknown players that, I think some some of the best players in the SEC have kind of come through this group now. I mean, you look at Jalen Wright doing an outstanding job at, at running back. Jabari Small giving him, you know, some good looks as well. But uh, the, the wide receiver position, uh, Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman, a pretty strong duo there. And then the transfer, Brew McCoy. I mean, he's got some playmakers. Our guy, Ramel Keaton over from Marietta, uh, made a couple big plays uh, earlier this year as well. I think you look at that group, that is an offense that, you know, could really test this defense and whether or not that, you know, they could test them for four quarters remains to be seen. I think that's kind of an aspect of both of these teams where it's just uh, it's kind of a firecracker offense where I think in the first half, uh, I think the secondary definitely for Georgia is going to be put to the test. But can they maintain that for four quarters? It's still my question with both these teams. I think they're both very explosive offenses, but just just looking at that Tennessee game, I, I think it's kind of you're going to learn a lot about Georgia from that game, uh, and then they're not going to have a long time to really uh, sit back and think about it because uh, Mississippi State's going to be right around the corner. The rest of your thoughts between those two teams? Both dangerous, dangerous teams. And I, when I made my prediction early in the year, um, you know, I kind of said watch this Mississippi State team because. You know, you're playing Georgia, Georgia, Florida, and then Tennessee comes to town. Then you go to Starkville. It's a very dangerous game uh, coming off two very emotional games like that, Florida and Tennessee back-to-back weeks. And uh, I, I tell you, I watched the Texas A&M-Mississippi State game last night on replay, and, I mean, they they manhandled Texas A&M. I mean, they, had, they gave them fits. So, uh, you know, I, I still think Tennessee is a game that scares you because they've got a, you know – I think of a quarterback that's really settled in this offense and they give you a lot of pressures. And, you know, I think that's the game that Georgia fan base can have a tremendous impact to, to make that crowd, you know, the signals and how fast Tennessee tries to go, um, you know, with those types of things. So both of them are very dangerous games. That Mississippi state game is starting to loom really, really big. Uh, They're all going to be big after that bye week. You know, I think, uh, we enjoy this. Nobody wants to rush the season on, but I think everybody, including the Georgia fan base, is going to enjoy having those four games back-to-back and having really, really, um, you know, just good games to look forward to every week. Yeah, you know, I think these were two games even before the season we kind of circled. And, and before the season, I predicted that Mississippi State game would be the closest game for Georgia. Still had Georgia winning. And I think right now my pick between these two would be Tennessee. You know, I think Hendon Hooker has done a good job. And, you know, if he keeps it up, maybe someone people talk about as a Heisman contender. Um, you know, I think uh, it all kind of boils down to me with Tennessee's defense, if they're able um, to to hold up. And, you know, if Georgia finds itself in a situation when it's playing Tennessee, if it's in a shootout, you know, that, that could be really dangerous. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think both of those teams – are going to be really formidable. And and I think, too, I think to something Rusty said earlier, the fact that game's in Athens, I think it's huge. If that game is in Knoxville, 
I, I would probably pick Tennessee to win it. Just based on what we've seen to this point, obviously a lot can change. Uh, but that's going to be a big game, and that's going to be something to watch, no doubt. Have you ever seen defensive cramps in November? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just tuck that one away, because uh, you know I'll be interested to see how many cramps that we have in Tuscaloosa next next week, too. No doubt about it. Well, we're going to answer one more question, and I got to do my men's basketball minute. I know everybody listening loves this part of the program, but got a question from the board: L Hardy two forty nine said basketball wins loss prediction. And this is actually kind of timely. On Wednesday, we're going to have a chance to go watch Georgia practice. I believe they started last week. Uh, Georgia's coming off a 6-22 season. Um, I, I think that Georgia, my prediction right now on a 31-game regular season schedule, it's going to be 13-18. and 18. They're not – I don't think they're quite good enough to finish in the upper echelon of this SEC. But, again, I think Mike White has done a very good job of – reloading this program you know they have a pretty tough non-conference schedule playing teams like wake forest playing probably going to play uab down in daytona as part of a uh, thanksgiving tournament so that'll be a tough game against billy uh, kennedy and company um, playing georgia tech playing notre dame um, and then a very very tough conference schedule you know i think they open the conference slate with auburn who i think could wind up winning the the sec as a whole so um, 13 and 18 is my prediction. I'm sure fans aren't going to be thrilled with that, but you more than double last year's uh, win total. You have a chance to be competitive. You have a chance to kind of lay the foundation because I think this Mike White hire uh, was made understanding that it's not going to be a one-year thing. You know, they're going to try to build this thing into uh, something more consistent. I think they took a big step. I wrote about this over the weekend and, and ran it on Monday. Uh, the four-star power forward, Dylan James, they got. I think that was a huge addition, um, and they're probably looking to add more to the 2023 class. So, yeah, I'm going to say 13-18. I think uh, they're not quite going to be in the mix as far as um, being an NCAA tournament team in that first year, but probably a lot uh, of positives to take from what uh, – it's going to be a really interesting first year for Mike White, no doubt. I, I chanced to interview him last week on the radio in Atlanta, 92-9 the game, and had no idea, to be honest with you. I had no idea his family was was built like that. I mean, you're talking about A.D. at Duke, uh, brothers A.D. at Tennessee, uh, sisters and eight, uh, associate athletic director. It was impressive. I had no idea uh, that, that his family was that deeply entrenched into collegiate sports at that level. No doubt. And, again, it'll be fun to follow, and I tell everybody listening, if you're interested in basketball, keep an eye out these next few days. I'll see what I can write out of uh, getting to watch them practice, see what this team looks like. So, on that note, we're going to get out of here. Appreciate everybody watching, everybody asking questions, everybody listening uh, either live or listening after the fact. We really appreciate you guys. Hey, I want to shout out my guy Paul, who uh, was talking to me on the plane coming off uh, once we landed uh, after a very long night in Columbia. He was really excited and, and had a lot of praise for for myself and Kip and Rusty as well. That's always great to hear from fans, uh, especially going again after a long night. That was what time. Great. What time did y'all take off? Uh, we took off at seven thirty. So uh, and so I stayed in Columbia, slept about two hours, and then drove drove an hour and a half to St. Louis. So uh, I was out Saturday night or uh, Sunday night, I should say. Uh, about, about eight o'clock, I, I went to bed. Oof, dead man walking. Oh man. Yes, but. Uh, we're going to get out of here on that. Appreciate Rusty. Appreciate Kip popping on. Appreciate everybody listening and watching. We appreciate you guys so much for allowing us to do what we do. It's so much fun and uh, couldn't do it without you guys. So on that note, we're going to get out of here. Appreciate it. And until
until next time, take care. Go Braves. Please. <laughs>begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.